Comets in Motion is proud to be sponsored by Renovations Press, home of the world-renowned tracksuit man, the story about traveling to which we can all relate and something we've all missed this last year. Renovations Press continues to make the decades-long quest to bring quality, independent comics to the masses with three comics each year featuring the supergroup slash government experiment gone wrong, section 12. Click the link in the show notes for more information about how you can buy some high-quality, independent comics. And stay tuned because each time a new issue comes out in 2021, Comics in Motion listeners will be eligible to win free copies of Section 12. Click that link, check out Renovations Press, support them on Patreon. You'll be happy you did. What started as just an appearance on Indie Comics Spotlight has turned into an excellent partnership between Comics in Motion and Renovations Press. We look forward to bringing you some amazing content. And welcome to Comics in Motion WandaVision Special. I'm your host, Dave Horrocks, and I've got not one, but two special guests joining me today. I have first, Mike from Genuine Chit Chat. Welcome to the show, Mike. Hello, once again. And I also have, from Genuine Chit Chat, Megan. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> Hey there, it's been good to speak to you. I've loved uh, listening to you, not only on the Genuine Chit Chat, but I, I have to say hats off to you for persevering with that Batman marathon that you did with Scott on the 20th oh, Century Geek. I, it, was, I, I, it was a slog at times. <laughs> I, I have watched those things over like 20 or so years, and, and I think I'm okay with spacing them out that way, but to cram them all in, especially some of those Shoemaker ones, uh, it's... That was hard going. <laughs> yeah, Megan was like, I don't want to watch Batman for ages. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's your fill for, for a good while now. Now, what have you been making of yeah. WandaVision so far? I mean, I, I've been, we've both been enjoying it. Um, I think most of us kind of feel similarly to a lot of people, excluding Chris, on the on the sort of, on all the specials, which is, yeah, the first couple of episodes were cool, but I really, I think when episode four, everything happened, I think that was... The, the perfect time to do it. I think the pacing has been really good because what I didn't want to happen was it be like five or six episodes of just one division with tiny little droplets and then everything happened at the end because it, it, I feel like it would just be too much sitcom stuff that people don't want to see. But I think that the pacing they've done and how different a lot of the episodes are uh, is, is excellent. What about you? Yeah, I've really enjoyed it. I, I really like how they've done one division. I, I mean, I, I enjoyed the first couple of episodes where it was sitcom anyway, but um. I've like gradually enjoyed it more and more as we've gone on. Mm. No, yeah. I, think, I think the thing is, if you've watched some of those old shows, there's so many Easter eggs, N- nothing from the comics, or, or there was plenty from the comics, but there was just loads in terms of homage in those shows as well. And so I, I think they were enjoyable. And I was trying to think, if I wasn't trying to analyze everything, 
would I enjoy it as much? Because you're looking for everything. You're like, oh, look, the bottle of wine's got H-O-M on it. Or, or it was um, French for House of M or something like that. You know, it was like, oh, there's a comic reference. Mm. So I can kind of see why it lost people. And I think it was a good choice to, you know, only go 100% pretty much sitcom for the first two episodes. And then, you know, episode three, mm-hmm. it really started to open up with the wider world. I, I, I do think possibly if they'd have dropped mm. all three, in the same you know at the same time then that might have been better but then you've got to consider the scheduling as well you know for this year you know we've got so much marvel content star wars content obviously we've got bad batch announced as as may so i'm pretty sure you must be happy about Mm. that Uh, and and megan as well you'll be uh, excited (laughs) no doubt that there's more star wars content to gorge So, so buzzing yeah. Star Wars forever. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, you do like the clones. So, so Rex is one of your favorite characters. Yeah, that is true. Rex is one of my favorite characters. So, we're so. hoping he'll appear in the Bad Batch. And I want Ahsoka to appear, but yeah. I don't know if she will. I think you maybe make a small appearance, but I, I think it'll be. What I'm hoping for is Cad Bane from Clone Wars to appear again with um with Boba Fett, and you can find out how Boba Fett got the the dent in his helmet because that was from like a Clone Wars episode that was never released. So oh. lots of little sort of lot of the uh, Clone Wars plots. There's like a whole season. There's a whole season of stuff that's meant to be in Clone Wars that when it got cut when they made the final season seven, there's still like I think four or five different arcs which haven't been used except one was made into a book. So I'm hoping they'll use some a lot of those sort of stuff. But yeah, I'm excited. <laughs> <laughs> You got him talking about Star Wars again. Yeah, I have to rein it in, otherwise I'll be here forever. So sorry, I'm going to stick on that for a little bit. So I wasn't planning to ask you about this, but I mean, the Bad Batch, that's that's obviously the team that we saw in, it was the opening episode of season seven, wasn't it? But mm-hmm. yeah. there was a there was also another Bad Batch in one of the earlier seasons as well. I think it was around season four where you had a team and they just weren't very cohesive. They were a bit rubbish. They weren't working together. So when I was gorging through all of the Clone Wars, I thought, oh, that's going to be the Bad Batch. So, But it seems like they're just a completely different team. I think that was Domino. Uh, are they, are they- yeah, are yeah. they the ones that weren't very good at doing their like tests? Yeah, and they almost yeah. they almost they failed. like failed the test time and time. Yeah, yeah, that's I think they're called Domino Squad, and that was they were flashback episodes. So that was with fives. Because um, yeah, that was when it did ha- that, those episodes have ninety nine in them. Yes, I love ninety nine. Ninety nine was, was great. Yeah, <laughs> he's the best clone. <laughs> he was. That's the most devastating episode. Um, but yeah, it was. They were. It, the way they did Clone Wars with the chronology is really bad. Like you go online and everyone's like, you need to watch it in this really specific order. And it is so cat-handed and it kind of annoys me a bit. I'm just like, Clone Wars is already kind of hard to get into as it is for some people, especially because season one is such a slog and the film is crap. Mm. And it's like, why why do flashback episodes but don't actually say, like, all you need to put in is, you know, uh, two year like the start of the Clone Wars, like year one of the Clone Wars. Just in when an episode starts, just say what mm. year it is vaguely and yeah. then people have an idea. But yeah, that was... All of the troopers in that, it was Fives, uh, I think Tup, um, Jesse. Was Echo? Uh, Echo, yeah, all of the main ones. But obviously over the series, they slowly go, a lot of them. Um, but yeah, that that was what um, they were, I believe. So, yeah. yeah. No, it was awesome. I, I you know, I'm... I'd stayed clear, and apart from you know when it, when I got your recommendation because of the because of the movie, and I just thought mm. I'm not watching seven series that that's like the movie <laughs> that I watched. Um, but I'm glad I did, and I, I yeah, really like cool. how they gave 
the clones, their personalities, you know, and, and like you say, you've just r- mm. rattled off the names. I can't recall the names apart from Rex. He's my favorite too. Um, but yeah, anyway, so one division. <laughs> <laughs> so what did you make of the, the opening? So we get, uh, I think it's 1693. So it's around about the mm-hmm. time of the Salem witch trials. What, what do you make of that opening? I I was in two minds about it. I kind of my views on this episode changed slightly on the second watch. Not I didn't enjoy it any more or less necessarily on the second watch, but the first time I was like, oh, where's this going? I oh, call. Cool. And then when I watched it the second time, it was it kind of made me raise a couple of questions. It was just like, is Agnes's power like absorbing other people's magic? I mean, it, it when the, all those witches were kind of shooting a beam into her, I, I couldn't help but thinking like when you have a being that's clearly magical, why don't you just stab them or like throw something really sharp at them rather than trying to use magic on them when you know... It's like Palpatine, it made me think of, where it's just like, oh, he's killing himself by electricity, force lightning again. It's like, but surely if he just stopped shooting out of his fingers, he wouldn't have been wrecked in all of the films. In in 3, 6, and 9, he seems to always kill himself by force <laughs> lightning. And I'm just like, that's stupid. Just stop shooting it and you'll be fine. And I felt like that with the witches. I was like, okay... So you're all shooting these weird beams into Agnes, presumably trying to kill her, maybe, but it wasn't very clear what they were really doing. Uh, yeah, I think they were trying to get rid of her powers, but then she was obviously absorbing theirs from what I gathered because they were like, their faces were going really like horribly mm-hmm. gaunt, weren't they? So Yeah, and then the, the sort of coven leader who was the mm-hmm. mother, who was like, um, I assume it was Agnes's mum, but then she tried, she was like, oh, well, I just watched Agnes basically kill all mm-hmm. six or seven of these witches in one go. Let me do literally the same thing. And then the same thing happened. I'm just like, if you just watch someone do that, you wouldn't then do that exact thing, would you? I, yeah, but she's meant to be the all like mighty powerful coven leader, isn't she? So I guess. I, I thought it was cool. I like seeing it, but I was just a bit, the second time round, I was just a bit like, this. it felt like it dragged a little bit, but that was because when you know what's happened, then you're just basically mm-hmm. watching, you know, uh, Catherine Hand just stand there screaming. The thing for me is that I just don't feel like it really added that much. Like, we know that Agnes has obviously got some, like, witchy powers, but aside from the fact mm-hmm. that we know that she was alive during the Salem, like, yeah. witch period, it doesn't actually add any more information apart from the fact that she just murdered a load of witches. Like, it doesn't really... I don't think it gives anything else to her character, per se. Yeah, I, I agree in the sense of, I think the witch trials, it's showing the back-in-time stuff and her being, you know, 300 it, plus yeah, years it, old. Yeah, it just liked, shows how old she is. Yeah, I liked that aspect, but then I just did feel like I was like, I don't really see where they're going with this necessarily i was like oh she's kind of being executed by her fellow witches it seems but then it's so powerful she can't and then just disappears but then it made me think the hell has she been doing the last 300 years (laughs) like what like she obviously sensed the hex and that's what kind of brought her out but (laughs) well so some of the things i i think i picked up on was uh i actually like how it gave her personality, you know, mm. it let you know a little bit. She was saying, oh, I know nothing of these these crimes or anything like that. She's really pleading her innocence. Mm. And then she says, hold on, I, I wrote it down here. I did not break your rules. And then she says in a kind of snarky way, they simply bent to oh, my yeah. power. You know, I really liked mm. how she delivered that. But then what, mm. one of the things I noticed was the, the witches are kind of using this blue light magic, you know, whether they're trying to actually kill her off mm. or absorb her power or whatever, I, I can't really tell. But when it flips around, you see this more, more of a purple light. 
and this is something we've seen in like mm. Doctor Strange, and you generally associate associate that with the dark magic. So we saw that mm. from the ancient one. I don't have you guys seen Doctor Strange? Yeah, yeah, yeah. love it. Yeah. So and and we found out because this is one of the reasons Mordo was quite upset was because he found out the ancient one was tapping into dark magic to keep herself young, and then so I, I think this mm-hmm. is a an indicator that you know Agnes is using dark magic. I'm not. Uh, we'll come on to it a little bit later. I'm not entirely convinced she's villainous as such, completely villainous, but mm-hmm. she's definitely using dark magic there. So. Um, so yeah, I I thought it was a nice little scene. I've I've watched it a couple of times as well, and and all of these things are just little subtle clues. And it, it honestly, especially that that line about you know the uh, I didn't break the rules; they simply bent to my power. I have to say, it sort of reminds me of my middle daughter. It's sort, <laughs> sort of something she might say, and also you know, I know nothing of these crimes. You know. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, it, it was definitely interesting. I say it was much better the first first watch, but I think there there are certain scenes in certain films and things which or series which certain scenes get better. I think on the rewatch, and other ones maybe don't as much. And I think the rest of the episode I enjoyed more on the second watch. It was just I think it was more because when I watched it the second time, I was thinking I would be able to figure it out more. So I'd be able to because I wasn't so focused on the plot. I was trying to kind of look for more clues as to what was going on. But I think they're intentionally trying to be cryptic as you say dave like not she she wasn't obviously she didn't go out of her way to kill all these witches she was put Mm -hmm. on trial put on the stake and then they attacked her and it was almost Mm self-defense so that i think that could uh lean into it yeah what i'm hoping they do with this character so so there's a um there's a character called magic uh i'm not sure did did you guys ever watch new mutants that came out recently I want to at some no. point, but no. no. I know it's pretty bad. <laughs> it's been reported to be quite bad. It's not great. It's not <laughs> great. But the source material is is good. You know, you've got this character called Magic. She's Ileana Rasputin. And she's inherently a good girl, but she was brought up in limbo or hell. So she she's also got this kind of dark side to her character. And so it makes for an interesting story, you know, where where she's kind of wrestling with that, you know, and, and, you know, using dark magic and, and trying to be inherently good. But after that, I mean, we start to see, I, I think there are a lot more payoffs in this episode, aren't there? Before we've got clues and yeah. you've got a million fan theories, you know, I'm throwing my own in there, to be honest, as well, uh, about what might be going on. But, you know, we, we're back to the present day and Agatha's explaining uh, she's basically got Wanda there. She's trapped. You can see again, she's she's using this kind of purple magic and Wanda's is more kind of red or scarlet. And then you kind of get the impression that Agnes is confused about how Wanda's got all of this power. You know, something that she's been studying for, you know, 300 or so years. And, you know, Wanda seems to be able to just create this whole hex place um, and she's trying to get it out of her. And, you know, they go into that, uh, they go through the door, don't they, into the uh, place where it's her parents and, you know, you get to see young Wanda and young Pietro. What, what did you make to how all that unfolded? I thought it was interesting. My question is, is why does she have dark hair when she's really young and then suddenly she's ginger when she's older? Is it just because she dyes her hair? Yeah, I did. I think that. I thought it was a bit <laughs> I thought jarring that as well. Points. 
<laughs> I think they probably did it as a plot device just so you can clearly see when it's doing the sort of flashbacky stuff, maybe just to show. Well, I mean, aside from the fact that she's a child and Wanda is well, not, clearly I, not a I, child I didn't mean anymore. that bit. I meant, I meant more so, obviously, the scenes after that. <laughs> yeah, but when, she's ginger in all the other scenes. Yeah, but no, I'm talking about, you know, when she does uh, the next scene when she goes into the, uh, where she's been experimented on, she goes to the. Yeah, and Hydra. Yeah, but she's got black hair in that. No, she doesn't. She's got ginger hair. No, she hasn't. She has black hair. Oh, whatever. With Wanda and stuff, I think in Age of Ultron, when we first see her, I'm I'm trying to remember because obviously, I think when you see her in the post credit scene at the end of, is it Winter Soldier, I think, you see her there and I think she has dark hair. And then when you then see her in Age of Ultron, I'm pretty certain she does have lighter hair. I'm, I'm not, I wonder if it's kind of meant to subtly show her sort of change in in a way like but i did find it a bit odd i did keep looking at it and i was trying to work out like surely she just dyed her hair or did she use her magic to change her hair color yeah i mean i like i liked the flashbacks i liked i liked seeing how i didn't like seeing how her parents died (laughs) but like i liked seeing how that happened i i am very (laughs) much a fan of i mean if you've listened to all of the batman retrospectives then you know that i'm a fan of like backstories so i like seeing how things come to to place so for me i enjoyed going back in time a little bit yeah yeah and i i, I do like it there, there are certain aspects like i, I what i found really clever was you know the, there's a whole question of oh how does she speak english and then it literally goes oh well when she watched the sitcoms with her family they specifically practice their english while doing that and i that was only a tiny little thing that really has no relevance to anything but i just i liked that little touch because Whenever there's a character who's from another land and they can speak fluent English, it was always a bit like, "Did how did you speak it that quickly, that well? Yeah, you but know? it's also a link into why she's created this weird little sitcom world for herself. Yeah, because I noted down some of the... Because obviously when we've... On this whole sort of Wanda Vision uh, special things, I know that right near the start, I think Scott and stuff, and uh, you as well, Dave, pointed out there's like Bewitched and I Love Lucy and that sort of thing. And obviously... Uh, the Malcolm in the Middle sort of start um, was an episode or two ago. And then in that suitcase thing, there was all of those. And obviously Malcolm in the Middle comes into it a little bit further. But one thing I did notice in there was um, one of the tapes was the Adams family. And that, that I don't know if maybe there's been references to Adams family that I've missed, uh, but, or, but I was like, oh, Adams family. I don't know if that's uh, maybe foreshadowing or. Well, I think the that might just be a link to the song that I've been humming away all week, which is <laughs> Agatha All Along. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. That, yeah. The, yeah. The Agatha All Along song is very Munsters. Uh, yeah. So, so, yeah. I, that, it's a good spot, though. I didn't spot that the, the Munsters... Um, the Adams family and the monsters and everything was was in there. So, no, I think it's great, and I think it kind of explains the accent as well. Not just speaking English; it doesn't totally explain the accent. But if she's got it all from mm. American sitcoms, it it would make sense that when she's speaking English, she speaks in that kind of American uh, accent as well. Yeah, and I, I did like the fact that the bomb not going off was actually her. I, I thought that was quite clever and it does bring that level of, oh, she didn't solely get her powers from the Infinity Stone. It was kind of, you know, the probability hex, I think is what Agnes called it. Yeah. And it was like, oh, okay. Well, well Agatha, either or. I'm going to interchange between <laughs> between Agatha and Agnes. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But I did like that, especially because when when you first hear about it, oh, it's a Stark missile and it didn't go off. You're thinking, but it's if it's a Stark missile, how likely is it that it actually didn't go off? Like, <laughs> Obviously, there are times that does happen, but Stark's maybe like top of the range stuff. And it's like, oh, just by coincidence, yeah. this bomb hit this thing and didn't go off for two days. It's like, oh, well, if she 
unknowingly was the one to prevent that. I think that adds a lot of weight to her whole arc um, and her as a character quite a lot. Yeah, no, I completely agree. And I hadn't picked up on the hair at all. Um, I just thought when she was when she was coming into contact with Loki's scepter, I thought you know she she looked like she was effectively being held as a prisoner. So her mm-hmm. hair would be all greasy and stuff. So that's why it was darker. But I think you're right. I think she probably has you know as part of these powers got a bit of a hair uh, job there done. But um, no, I think the the interesting thing was absolutely, as you say, you know, she's used her powers. They didn't confirm it. It was a bit of an Agatha Harkness theory, but I think, you know, we can buy into that, Mm. that she had her powers. And so I'm thinking, you know, she was potentially, this could open the door to uh, mutants as well. Yeah. Yeah. Because I know that in, um, there's the sort of things like, I think what I heard you guys talking about in previous episodes was there's almost like dormant mutants in a lot of ways where there's like people have got mutant genes and sometimes they seem like a normal human and then either, you know, they get hit by radiation or they almost die or some sort of superpower hits them. And then that ignites the sort of dormant genes, which makes them have powers. And I think that that's not exactly what happened with Wanda, but I think the way they've explained it with Wanda, which is, oh, she had some powers, didn't realize. And, and Agnes was kind of like, oh, it would have just faded and fizzled because it would have just disappeared. She didn't use them. And then, the Infinity Stones kind of reignited it along with that traumatic experience you had. I think it does all tie in quite well together um, in that way. And yeah, one thing I did want to flag is I wasn't quite sure why. I, I felt like, um, have, you, have you seen Parks and Recreation? Sorry, there's a side thing, uh, Dave. It sounds weird. There is a reason. I, I know of it. I haven't actually sat down to watch them. You're absolutely disappointed in you, Dave. It's the best TV show. Series one is okay. <laughs> six episodes. It, it's it's all right, series one, but it's only like six episodes, I think, so you can do that. And then pff, series two, three onwards is amazing. But basically, she plays a character in that um, who's brilliant, and she hates kids. Like, whenever kids go near her, she's like, oh, get away from me. And that just, when she said, oh, Pietra's being really loud, why is he shouting so much? That just made me think of her character from Parks and Rec, and I was just like, that didn't really add anything necessarily. It just kind of adds, it only adds to the fact that Agnes probably doesn't like kids. And it was like, I just quite like that little bit. I, I <laughs> like the little things that Agnes says that mm. make me laugh. Like the thing where she, when, when Pietro is being really loud, she was like, Christ, we're only in the room. Like you don't need to yell. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like unnecessary to say, but it just adds <laughs> that tiny little bit of humor. Mm. Yeah. And I think that Catherine Han is incredible. Her. Everything I've seen her in parks and rec and there's, we watched How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days the other day, unfortunately, and she's in that. And every time I see her, she is brilliant. And I think that this episode specifically, the three obviously main people is uh, Paul Bettany, uh, Catherine Han, and obviously Elizabeth Olsen. And I just think this is almost a perfect showreel of how good they all are as actors. And it's just, they're so good at it. They basically carry the whole show. I know there are a couple of little supporting uh, people in it, but this really highlights how good they are. And we watched Solo the other day, or two days ago, I think. And obviously, uh, Paul Bettany is Dryden Voss in that, and he's like the complete opposite to Vision. Yeah, and he just does that change. And I, I just can't. After, especially after seeing that so recently, mm-hmm. I was just like, he's like, apart from uh, MCU stuff and Star Wars, I hadn't actually seen Paul Bettany in anything else. So this is the only thing I've seen of him, and I just think all three of them have mm-hmm. done such a good job. And I think this was. I'm, I'm glad, like you know, when you see an actor and they're in quite a few things here and there, but you never really hear anyone give them a massive amount of praise. I think this is going to put Catherine Han on the map and I think she really, really deserves it because the performance in this episode alone with, as what Megan was saying, you know, her little, it's, it's all the little things she says. It's not the, the exposition that matters. It's the, uh, the flavor text of her personality that I think really, really works. 
Yeah, I, I completely agree. And and like I was saying with the line right at the start, you know, mm. the way she delivers these lines uh, is fantastic as well. And, you know, we've seen her blend into those different eras, you know, through the different sitcoms. And, uh, you know, I, I do think she she pulls that off really well. I mean, do, do you, are you guys familiar with how Paul Bettany, you know, got this, this role as Vision? I mean, he was... Um, he he was uh, Jarvis, wasn't he, in the first Iron Man? But he was never intended mm. to be actually on the screen. Uh, have you heard that story at all? Mm. No, I don't think no. I have. No, please tell us. So apparently, he was in. I think he was on talking to some producer or something. On he was talking about being on Sunset Boulevard, and this producer basically gave him a hard time and said, you know, you'll never work in this town. You're finished up. You know, you're finished. You'll never work again. And he went outside and was just sat on the on the side of the road. And he got a call from, uh, you know, not everyone's favorite at the minute. I know there's some bad things come out, but he got a call from Joss Whedon and basically said, do you want to play Vision mm-hmm. in Age of Ultron? And so he said wow. he was, it was just the best time that he could have got that phone call, you know, because he, he literally, it must have been mm-hmm. heartbreaking for someone to tell you that, you know, your career's over pretty much, start thinking about doing something else and to get that role at that precise moment <laughs> in time. And he said he was like, fuck off, you know, to this. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so, I did think that interaction with uh, Wanda and Vision, when the, it's kind of post Age of Ultron, so Pietro's dead, and mm. you know, Vision kind of walks through uh, and sits down with her to watch. Uh, I think they're watching Malcolm in the Middle, aren't they? I thought that was a really, yeah. really good scene as well. You know, you see Vision trying to comprehend what Wanda's feeling without telling her how she should feel. Um, I, I, but you know, he's kind of giving her some good advice as well. He's talking about grief being maybe just something that's love persevering in a different form. I, I just thought this scene was was brilliant. I mean, what, what do you guys think of that? Yeah, I liked this scene. It added more to their relationship. It, I think it's quite nice for her to have to like relive that experience because obviously at the moment she's dealing with so much grief because she's come back from the blip and Vision's not there and all of this crap. Like She, she had to literally kill him and then watched him die and then she disappeared, came back, and then he was gone. So. I think it's quite nice for her to have to watch that moment again so that it can kind of maybe put it into a bit more perspective because obviously the advice that he was giving her, Mm -hmm. she then will have to then in theory listen to it again. Mm. Yeah, and I I liked it as well because I wouldn't want a whole movie or even a series about this sort of thing, but what I like is being able to see like sort of post-big events that's what I like. I wouldn't, as I said, I wouldn't want just to have a whole, you know, ten episode series about, you know, post post badness and just have it, <laughs> watching people just chill out afterwards. But seeing a little bit of mm-hmm. it was really cool because it's not something you generally see. Because with superhero films, it's quite, especially the MCU, they're quite shiny in the way of, oh, there's a bad guy, something bad happens, people die, blah blah blah. You win, yay, the end. Yeah, because the only thing in the MCU that I can really think about are the Iron Man films, because obviously Tony Stark is like dealing with PTSD, so. Yeah, yeah, because the, the Captain America films are a bit more are grounded mm-hmm. and stuff, but they, once again, they, Captain America's kind of on all the time. And it is nice showing that, yeah, after watching, you know, basically your brother die, you change sides. And because you basically came, basically you guys made the wrong decision, you know, uh, Wanderer and Pietro. And then 
they kind of have the turn, but then Pietro dies to save uh, Hawkeye. It's like seeing her afterwards is not something I'd necessarily even thought of. I was like, oh no, yeah, Pietro's dead. That sucks. And obviously she had that angry moment in Age of Ultron and kind of went a bit mental and destroyed mm-hmm. a lot of stuff. And I was like, oh, that's cool. But really the most painful stuff is after it. If you have a loved one die, the day they die is normally quite crap, but it's normally the weeks after that that hurt the most because you kind of, it's often the shock and the raw feeling is almost so intense, it's kind of numbing. And then once the the initial pain of someone passing kind of falters a little bit, then you're just left with the residue grief and that can be horrendous to deal with. And I think that that added a, a nice amount of weight uh, to things. And I think the way they've handled the characters is brilliant. And I, I think that, I'm so glad they did this as a TV series because if they tried to fit this into a movie, I think they, it would it would squash the wrong parts. And I think an episode like this was definitely very necessary. And mm-hmm. yeah, just seeing them connect. Because obviously with Wonder and Vision, you kind of, you barely really see them uh, interact really. And then suddenly in Infinity see while they're together. And it's like, oh, well, that's nice. But you don't really know why. And I think Wonder in, in uh, the Avengers place, it shows that Tony isn't the most emotional or sympathetic or person to be able to have a shoulder to cry on. So I think it was good showing that she would have felt quite alone with like everyone she truly cared about going. And it was Vision just trying to be, trying to kind of learn to be human, trying to be nice. He was the saving grace. And obviously they both very much connected to the part of me. Part of me thinks it's also kind of foreshadowing though. Like this, Mm. this is a theory that like, because obviously the, this is jumping forward to the episode in this episode is post credit scene is, is vision, isn't it being rebuilt? Um, Mm -hmm. and then visions also in the, like the hex world as well. So that in theory is going to be two different visions. Mm. So I feel like that scene is going to be a nod to the fact that she's going to have to eventually let go of vision (laughs) because something's going to happen because there's going to be two different visions. And I think it's going to be one good vision and one bad vision that are going to have to battle. And (laughs) Wanda's going to have to do some sort of make some sort of decision that she's going to have to like, let go of him. And I think this scene is kind of like a nod towards that. Yeah. And I think that with, with all of the sort of this whole episode was, it was connective tissue. And I was like, you know, this whole show has been like a mystery. How did this happen? Why has this happened? Blah, blah, blah. And it's been putting little pieces together as it goes. And now this is like, okay, now you've got most of the pieces of the puzzle and the final episode is going to be sorting that. But I think the flashbacks were done very tastefully and very well. And one thing we actually kind of glazed over was when she has that vision, no pun intended, when she saw the uh, Infinity Stone and things. I like the fact that when you see the CCTV footage of that, and because the, those, there's those two guys who watch it happen, they're like, oh my God. And they check the footage oh, and they're like, yeah. oh, she's just standing there and then she's on the floor. That's, I remember that, and I was like, "Oh, that's like when she's projecting Wonder Vision in the the first half of the mm-hmm. series, and then you know Darcy yeah. watches it, and certain bad things happen. It cuts that for me. I was like, oh, so that's kind of the first time she edited footage.' It in, was in also it made me think of as well when the bomb flew in. The Dick Van Dyke show was glitching mm-hmm. as well. Mm. So there's a couple of like connections to the show having like the glitches. The attention to detail in this show is incredible. Yeah, there's there's actually a couple of times because the classic one, uh, the classic Scarlet Witch outfit has got this like crown that we saw mm. in a Halloween costume. Yeah, but um, when you had Agatha's mum using her magic, she had like a little blue crown appear, and when Wanda was looking into the into the Mind Stone, she saw possibly a vision of the future, which you know has the headset as well. So yeah, really quite interesting and and i agree i think having it as a series has meant that they can 
spend a lot more time and you know build up this picture I, I do think that this kind of this episode was a lot more payoffs than it was clues you know things like the mm. uh actually the stark bomb you got the little red light blinking you know and that was like the toaster that we saw mm. in episode one very much oh, like that yeah yeah and also coming back to the the end credit that that you mentioned there megan so that kind of white vision is a callback to the comics. So this is kind of when he was, you know, rebuilt, but he was he didn't have his personality in the comics. His personality is actually brainwaves from a character called Simon Williams, who's Wonder Man. Haven't seen him in the MCU. I don't think we will see him in the MCU. But I think that guy was probably, you know, that is Vision's original body but without all of the personality. And that was another payoff that we saw, wasn't it? When Wanda, you know, goes a bit nuts, uh, contorts her body massively. I don't know if that was a stunt double or what, but to actually bend back like that, I thought, that's pretty impressive. (laughs) She's been doing a yoga. (laughs) But, uh, you know, we see that the, the vision in the hex was created by her. But in one of the earlier episodes, I'm not sure if it was four or five, we saw when we had like Jimmy Woo and, uh, you know, Monica and um, uh, Darcy, we could see that they could see vision in the hex and he was vibranium. So he does seem to be, he's not just an, an illusion. He does seem to actually have been created there. So I'm not sure if you guys have seen Superman three, but there's a moment at the end of that where you've got Clark Kent and he's fighting against uh, a evil Superman. I wonder if we're going to get that kind of um, uh, situation, but I think you're probably right, Megan, even though I don't want you to be right. I think that moment, <laughs> that scene is probably foreshadowing we're going to see Vision die for a third time. <laughs> it's but so Wanda, sad. going to have to deal with the grief this time. So what what do you think? Do you think he's, he's going to die off? Yeah, I think Vision's going to eventually pop his clogs, unfortunately. <laughs> he's going to go. Yeah, I feel like with it, I've, I've got what I want to happen, and I've got what I think will happen. And what I think will happen is the two Visions are going to fight, and then the Vision that Wanda's created is the only one who's really going to have enough power to be able to defeat the new vision and then he's going to sacrifice himself to defeat the other vision and that will kind of and then Wanda will have to deal with that or she'll have to have some degree of hand to kill them both you can't have them both existing what I want to happen is that they combine that's what I would love I would love vision and vision to fight and then they sort of combine and then you get the 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 new vision's body that can be outside the hex and stuff with the new vision's mind that's connected to Wanda and we get Vision back. I don't think that's going to happen. I think this is this is basically finalizing the nail in the coffin for Vision, and then it's going to this whole thing is basically pushing on how Wanda's going to be for the next phase of the MCU. If she's a goodie, in their quotes, or a baddie, or how she is is going to completely depend on what happens with Vision at the end here. I your theory on what you want to happen is my theory as well. I, mm. I hope they do combine. And what's going to be interesting about it is what. Disney's approach to these TV series will be because if you think there's going to be some people who don't have Disney Plus and just want to watch the movies, they mm. might want watch all the MCU movies but not this show. And if you didn't watch this series and then the last thing you watched was Endgame, you know Vision's dead, you know, <laughs> Wanda's mourning him. 
And then you're going into the next round of movies and Vision's suddenly alive in Doctor Strange or something else. You'd be like, well, that doesn't make sense. So it's only because of thinking about the movies and and the fact that the TV show, even though it's in the same universe, I've got a feeling they're going to want a story to run through the movies as well. And it doesn't make... Mm. Uh, it doesn't mean that you have to watch those TV series. Yeah, well, I, I've got. I, I think I'm in agreement with you there generally. But to counter that somewhat, there's two points of that. Which one of them could be things like you know, in uh, I think it's a, one of the Avengers movies. I can't. I think it's either Age of Ultron or Infinity War. They may, mention that Shield is no more, and it's just like one-off comment. And they're like, "Oh yeah, Shield's not a thing anymore," and they glaze over it, even though obviously the whole of Captain America Two is all about Shield dismantling. And I wonder if Mm -hmm. in the next Avengers movie or whatever it's going to be, if Vision was alive, someone would be like, like you get a character who's probably more comedic character, who's a bit like, I thought you died. And he's like, it's a long story. And maybe that will be the way they get around it. Because I would, if I, if here's the thing, if I hadn't seen Solo, I would be in agreement with you. I'd be like, there's no way they do that. But I've seen Solo, Darth Maul's in it. And Darth Maul in Phantom Menace gets <laughs> yeah. chopped in half and you think, he's gone now. But obviously he gets resurrected in the Clone Wars. So, well, resurrected, he's, he's alive in the Clone Wars and things, and he survives. And I feel like mm-hmm. Disney have to look at it in two ways, I guess. They either want to look at it in a way of, they'll give you just about enough information so it makes sense, but it's enough to be like, hey, you want more information? Content's over there. You don't absolutely have to, but we would gently recommend it. And that, I think, is one of the clever sort of marketing ploys they might do. Because I feel like when they put Maul in Solo, even though for us canon nerds, we knew that Maul was alive, what I feel like's happened is a lot of people saw Solo and went, what, Darth Maul's alive? Why has that happened? And then you look online, it goes, oh, it explains it in Clone Wars. And that's a good way to get people into Clone Wars. And I think they did the same thing with Ahsoka in uh, Mandalorian mm-hmm. because loads of people are like, who's this Ahsoka character? And Disney like, well, we've got <laughs> Clone Wars series. You know, any of you guys that's still putting that off, go back and watch it because you see how badass she is. So I wonder if it's going to be either a subtle way of getting pe- more people to watch WandaVision or maybe it will just be now we'll just glaze over it in a sense i can kind of see it in two ways yeah i i can actually buy into that point if they just threw it away with a, a line of dialogue like you say oh it's a long story or something like that you, you're right i so i do think they they could possibly do that but i still think you know we're, we're gonna have we're definitely gonna have a set two aren't we with you know personality vision inside the hex and you know uh, robotic, you know, no personality vision outside. So shell vision, almost. You got new vision and shell vision. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I did wonder is uh, you know this cameo that Paul Bettany was talking about. Uh, I wonder if if the cameo was himself. I, I wonder if it was this end credit, <laughs> and he's done a Tom Holland. <laughs> that would be hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> that w- that would be excellent. I mean, yeah. I, I was going to say with um, another another part of the body stuff is something you flagged up after we watched it, uh, which was you thought that Wanda stole Vision's body. And if we all did, because that was the impression we gave. Yeah. But I think that the original footage we saw, we see her kind of float down. Yeah, because she um, smashes the window and yeah. then floats down, doesn't she? Yeah, and then the CCTV footage or whatever we saw in one of the earlier episodes, it then cuts as she kind of approaches Vision. Now, obviously, when we saw it in this version, we see her approach Vision and put her hand to his head and say, I can't feel you. Because obviously they often say to each other they can feel each other because the uh, Mind Stone and whatnot connection to each other. And I think that 
the way they did that was very clever as well. The, the, I, what I like about the series a lot is that they managed to do plot twists without it being really cheap and annoying. Like I can't, like I like a plot twist when it's good and it makes sense. But I don't. I hate plot twists for the sake of it. And there's a fair few films I've seen that none of them can. Oh, I'd probably say the closest one is to is Frozen. I know it's a really random thing, but like Frozen, when uh, spoiler the good guy in it, who's the vague love interest, he turns out to be a baddie. That just feels so shouldered in and unnatural and doesn't work. And it feels like they only put that in because they needed an extra 15 minutes of runtime and couldn't think anything else out. And they're like, hey, here's a guy who's literally never shown any sign or even hint of being anything but a gentleman perfectly. And then suddenly he's bad. It's like, that doesn't work. But in this show with WandaVision, it's like the little breadcrumbs. Like when you saw Agnes and people were starting to suspect, is Agnes the baddie? And then we saw that episode where she was in her car and Vision walks up to her. And it's like that, when I saw that, I was like, Mm -hmm. Is that I, I was a sus, I was suspect, and I was like, is that specifically trying to make us look the other way and not suspect Agnes, so that the the reveal yeah. is bigger? And I think that really works. Same with the CCTV footage. Like we see what uh, the sword want us to see with the CCTV footage. They're trying to portray Wanda as a baddie who has stolen Vision, not that they're trying to you know bring him back for, as a weapon and stuff. And I just think the way they've done each element of the story none of it feels cheap to me and i really appreciate that the the effort that's gone in well i guess what i'd say mike is i'm not having a bad word said against frozen (laughs) i love it i thought that was a great (laughs) twist i thought the uh the way the you know the the classic prince charming there you know normally uh, it's fairly one note isn't it a story Mm. like that so so to have it actually have that heel turn i i i was bought in I love it. <laughs> I, ju- I just felt like I'm not going to get into a debate here about Frozen because I don't like Frozen, but I will just say the problem I have with it is in the thing, there's loads of like subtly off camera stuff he does, which he wouldn't do if he was really a baddie. Like there's loads of moments where he kind of does these things that are really nice, but no one notices him doing yeah, but that's it. That's the point. Yeah, but that they're only, if you're actually a bad person, you don't do really nice things when no one is looking to keep the illusion up. You only do it when people are looking at you and he doesn't. In Frozen, he constantly. There's, the only reason they let him do all these nice things is specifically to not give you any hint that he could possibly be a baddie. That's what how I feel. But I'm not going to get into Frozen debate. I don't like Frozen. I think it's overrated and annoying and one of the worst of the animated Disney films. But I accept you other people like it. Him off. I know you don't like it much either. Throw you in the deep end. We, we, we could do comics on trial of Frozen. Hundred percent. I would definitely do that. I think it could be, couldn't it? <laughs> yeah. Two anyway, grown men. Yeah. Uh, this just the of frozen. <laughs> <laughs> we should definitely do that. I would love to do that. It would be a bit different. Although I will have to watch Frozen again. Unfortunately, I, I, but <laughs> I think we should buy it. 100%. Yeah, we'll put that in. But for the future, we'll sort that out. But yeah. <laughs> Mike, I think you should just let it go. <laughs> nice. Great. <laughs> <laughs> but um i mean the reason you guys thought that um wonder had stolen vision's body was because director hayward said that's what happened he mm. told monica she came in and i was I was trying to explain so my son who's 10 I, I don't think he was quite getting the the way actual footage was just spun to mean a different story I think mm. he was possibly thinking that, you know, they'd made up some extra footage where she steals the body, but he didn't. He just took the footage, but he he put this story over the top that she came in and it was her who was going against his will, whereas it was sword. And I did mm. think that that scene 
where you see Vision, you know, pulled apart. I know he's a synthetic human. I know he's not an actual human being, but I found that really, really brutal. Yeah, yeah I, I wrote awful. down the word unnerving. I just, it looks so, it, it's like, uh, it's almost the uncanny valley in a way, but not like, oh, it looks like a human that's not quite human. It makes me uncomfortable. It's sort of, he's so close to being human, seeing him spread apart and knowing his personality like that, especially for Wanda. And when they're pulling up the arms apart and you see all the, I think that's meant to show, like if you pulled a human's arm apart, you'd see, you know, the fibers of the muscle tissue and the veins and all that sort of yeah. stuff. I think that was intentionally trying to show that, which is like, it's almost like surgery style gore, but on a robot. And I agree with you. I think they that was really, it hit me in a weird way. I think regardless of whether he's human or, you know, a synthesoid, he's termed as, regardless of all of that, Wanda loves him. And all she mm. wants to do is bury him. And so you can't help. I, I thought the way it was shot was absolutely brilliant because you can't help but empathize with Wanda's position there and how utterly heartbreaking that must have been for her to watch. And so, you know, I was actually a bit surprised that she didn't take his body. She didn't do something more than what she did. She essentially said, I can't feel you, you know, and then walked off, you know, and that's when she kind of goes she to this place in Westview. But, you know, I think most of us would have a possibly a more violent reaction than Wanda did there. Oh yeah, I would have gone batshit. <laughs> I would have gone absolutely mental. It's just yeah. really sad. All she wants is closure. That's literally what she wants. She just wants to say goodbye to the person that she loves the most and have a funeral for him. That's literally all she wanted to do. Yeah. And then what's his name? You've written it down here. What's that? What's the bad? What the the guy? The sword guy's name was Haywood. Oh, Tyler Haywood. Yeah, he said that. Uh, yeah, he said that Vision wasn't hers, and I was like, oh, I was like, no, that's so sad. He is hers. Haywood was specifically playing this game, and he it, he manipulated the the things that they have to make it look like she was bad. But like, if I was in that position, I'd almost be like, okay, we'll have a funeral, we'll bury him, but we have to take the body back out the ground because we can't just leave that amount of vibranium there because put, someone will steal it. Or just put something in like replacement of the whole body. Like as long as they have a funeral of some description, it would have given her the closure. They didn't ha necessarily have to bury the like the three billion dollars worth of vibranium. Like hmm. I did also note that when he, you know, he said, well we're trying to dismantle it specifically and then he doesn't. That, I liked that part as well. He said to her, we're trying to dismantle it to kind of, you know, it's a moral and ethical duty to dismantle him. And it's like, no, you're not trying to do that. You're trying to, because he keeps saying it's a weapon and like he's no longer online and all these sorts of other, use, using the terminology, he's not actually a person. I thought that was really good as well. Clever. Yeah, I wasn't sure exactly why they'd only started this dismantling process after Endgame because he died in Infinity War, didn't he? Mm -hmm. So that was five years previous so he's just been hanging around or lying around and they've just started to do this uh dismantling process now but it, it had me thinking about the ethical question just because his body is worth a lot of money does that mean the government automatically owns him you know if if it was a person you wouldn't have thought so and i guess you know because he isn't actually a flesh and blood human that he doesn't have the same rights that a normal human being would have. So he's treating it just like a, a car, and he's just dismantling it. He's strip mining it for parts. And, and again, I, I just, yeah, it, it was fairly brutal. And it, it makes me wonder, you know, if there is a big bad in this series, I actually wonder, is it really Agnes? Um, we've had lots of theories about Mephisto, Nightmare, people like that 
probably not going to be those. Um, but I'm wondering if it's Hayward because, again, the way he's intentionally misleading people, um, I, I think there's more to him. And, and I actually wonder if Agatha Harkness is going to turn out to be on the level because she is in the comics. She helps Wanda in the comics master her powers and things. So I don't know. The way it it ended, I mean, it sort of makes her look villainous, doesn't it? But what do you guys reckon of uh, how it all ended there? I think that theory could work because also in the post credit scene, he says about bringing him back online, they needed energy from the source. So obviously, for me, it doesn't seem like they were trying to dismantle Vision. No, for weren't. me, they were like obviously blatantly putting him together, even when Wanda was there, because they were trying to get him to come mm-hmm. back online. So I think, yeah, he could be mm-hmm. the bad one because even when, because when Agatha has like Wanda's children, and she says, "Oh, you're the Scarlet Witch," she seems like surprised. She seems like genuinely shocked that she doesn't. That, that she's this real thing. Mm. So for me, and, and she, as you said earlier, she just kind of seems confused about how she's got all of this power. And she just kind of just, mm-hmm. for me, it just seems like she wants to learn <laughs> more than anything. She just wants to learn how to be able to do this stuff as opposed to actually trying to be malicious. Whereas this Haywood, uh, he is like actively malicious throughout the entirety of the series. Once you like, get more information out of it yeah and also with agnes one part is kind of it links into my sort of uh query uh the earlier on in this conversation which is if she was that bad and she is as powerful as it shows why why it's taken 300 years for her to approach like if she was bad i mean in the 1700s if you imagine like if, if you argued say agnes is as powerful or almost as powerful as what we've seen with scarlet witch just for argument's sake if you had someone that powerful in the 1700s, mm-hmm. they could take over the world. But also, why, if she's that bad, why has she been lingering, lingering yeah. around during the entirety of these sitcoms, just in the background playing along? Yeah, exactly. And also, she doesn't kill the kids. Also, she mm-hmm. didn't even kill Wanda. Like, she has Wanda in the, the sort of basement with all those rooms that prevent her from doing powers. She can't do anything. But she doesn't kill Wanda. She wants Wanda to basically mm-hmm. get over this sort of grief cycle she's stuck in. And I think that probably it's either, oh, Wanda's clearly unstable with this level of power. I need to make sure that she is what I think she is because if she is the Scarlet Witch and she is as powerful as we think and she's basically made this hex and is unstable, what she could, because Agnes specifically says she's dangerous. And it's that kind of idea of if she isn't reined in, if we don't try and help her, she could just either destroy the world or the world could try and destroy her first, which kind of is what swords seem to be trying to do, which will cause... It, it reminds me of Dark Phoenix in a sense from what I've seen of the films. You know, that sort of, there's that fire and power within her. And if you are on the wrong side of that, you're gone. But if you can keep her in the light, in air quotes, then that will be fine. I, I think that, yeah, I, I would agree with both of you in the sense I think Haywood is the, the big bad and the Agnes is the heel at the moment because... She's not overly, she seems like she's above caring if people think she's good or bad. She's doing what she feels is the best thing. And I think the evidence of that is that even at the start with the cover, yeah. she didn't kill all those witches. She was basically tried to get killed by them. And then she potentially used her power to kind of reflect it back at them. She didn't go out of her way and kill loads of people. So I think that all kind of, I remember what I think on one of the last, I think it was on What's the Topic, the guys discussed it. And I think it was Matt who said, 
um, he wants a whole episode on like a backstory of Agnes. And I think that although this was a lot of gap filling for mm-hmm. Wanda, I think this was also very cleverly, simultaneously added backstory to Wanda, what we already knew, but also the backstory for Agnes, not just that starting scene, but showing how she kind of works in a way. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and uh, I do think, I think the theory on Agnes you know Agatha Harkness being more good than certainly than bad even even though she's using dark magic would hold up even better if she wasn't strangling the boys yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that's a little bit I'm just going to gloss over that so I, I do think that'll be a little bit of a twist in the final episode but I mean what, what predictions do you guys have for how this is all going to wrap up next week uh, I'll go first because you keep going first. I keep talking after you, so I'll let you have the final word between us two, Megan. Okay. Um, I'll say, what? <laughs> no, I, I'll, I'll say that. Yeah, Vision and Vision are going to have a big fight, and as I said, I hope they combine and become a super Vision, but I don't feel like that's going to happen. I think Vision's going to sacrifice himself. I feel like Wanda's going to kind of get out of this grief cycle. I have absolutely no idea what's going to happen with the kids. Like, we're not even still sure if the kids are really like she. She can create things out of, you know, she created vision out of nothing. So yeah, she can create kids out of nothing, but it is that sort of thing of, are are they actually kids or is there something else to do with them? So I'm I'm in a weird position here. It's also with one thing with Sword and uh, Shield I want to mention is obviously Shield, well, with Nick Fury at the helm, a shield defends the earth against attackers. A sword is a weapon that you attack things first. And I think that that is probably intentional. And I haven't read the, any comics to do sword or shield, so I'm not sure if that uh, is detailed more in there. But it feels like because of everything that happened in Infinity War and Endgame and Shield had dismantled, sword are like, we need to be the first things to attack. So we need to create this ultimate weapon like Vision. And if it can beat someone like Wanda, it can probably be anyone else because, you know, Wanda gave Thanos what for in a lot of ways if he didn't have the Infinity Stones. So I'm thinking Mm -hmm. this is going to set up for Sword. Maybe Sword are going to become the the new shield in the next few phases. Maybe they're going to be almost more like a Hydra in some ways or like halfway between. But when it comes to the kids and things, I'm, I'm not, I'm really not sure how this is going to end. Obviously, I assume the Hex is going to go and everyone in Westview is going to be fine, but I am intrigued to see because I'm not overly sure. What about yourself? I'm really rubbish at predicting things. So like, <laughs> like even in this series, like so far, there have been bits like, oh my God. And Mike's like, yeah, I thought that was going to happen. I'm like, I literally don't understand how you even possibly thought that that was a thing. But okay. <laughs> the only thing that I think will happen is that the two visions will have to eventually fight each other. And I think that Wonder, unfortunately, is just going to have to deal with the grief of losing vision again. I think that is probably going to be the outcome but mm. that's the only thing that i can really and then maybe, yeah maybe agatha's not going to be the baddest person in the world but i, I don't really know mm. just the two visions fighting <laughs> yeah not you dave no i think i can i can buy that we're definitely going to have uh you know the vision off um <laughs> I, I think that that will that has to happen um yeah we've we've talked about agatha probably is gonna she's gonna end up making friends with Wanda and she's gonna help her with her powers to master her powers moving forward. Um with the boys it's it's really interesting. I mean I think Mike you saw the the image I posted from the comics which yeah, you know horrendous. is pretty brutal where <laughs> where the boys are basically reabsorbed into a demon. With it being Disney oh, I don't think I'll they're gonna the go down that route. <laughs> I hope not. I don't want to see that. It's horrendous. No. 
So I, I think they may disappear. So they disappeared for years in the comics, and then they reappeared as part of the, the Young Avengers, and they didn't actually know at the time that um, that that Wanda was their mum. So they appeared as uh, Speed mm-hmm. and Wiccan, these characters. So one has, uh, weirdly, the, the powers of Pietro. He's got the super speed, and the other has, uh, Wiccan has the powers of his mum. So... I think they could potentially age up a little bit and, you know, we can have this new, you know, they could be part of the new Avengers or I think they may disappear. I don't think we're going to get something that reflects the comics, like say, just because it's Disney and they're not really into uh, absorbing children, uh, you know, and then <laughs> you know, finishing the series and having, you know, globally these kids traumatized about what could possibly happen to them. Yeah, because a lot of my students watch this show. So at the end of like the Zoom, because obviously at, at the moment it's like lockdown still. So I do my live lessons, and at the end, some students are like, "Are you watching WandaVision? Are you watch? Have you seen the most recent episode?" And I'm just like, "Yeah," and they're like eleven. <laughs> um, but the thing is, is that with the hex, is that what it's called? Yeah, yeah with the hex thing still, there's Darcy. Yep. Is it Darcy? Darcy still in it? Um, whole town isn't it the whole town's in it but also the um yeah the woman what's the oh uh, monica rambo yeah she's still in there as well so obviously they're gonna have to be part of the last episode because they're all stuck inside and what's her name rambo yeah monica rambo she um she's obviously also got some witchy powers for some reason now because she forced her way into the the hex so she's also gonna have a part to play surely with Dave said in one of the, I didn't know anything about uh, her and, until Dave has mentioned it in some of these episodes and things. Because you said she was kind of, I think a lot of this is what this is all sort of a build up. I think to what's going to happen in Captain Marvel two, which I predict the Captain Marvel two is going to be mm-hmm. uh, with Monica Rambeau in sort of present day and having flashbacks to some sort of interaction she had with Captain Marvel that went bad, which is maybe part of the reason she doesn't like her as much, or maybe Captain Marvel was around when um monica rambo's mum died or something like that so i think she's being she's going to help in the situation but for her this is kind of like an origin story so that i think disney and uh, marvel are trying to with the next phase of the mcu they don't want every film to be another bloody origin story because mm. that was the problem with phase one and phase two of um mm. uh, the mcu as much as i enjoy them so many films which just were uh origin stories and like that's what they did excellent with spider-man homecoming and civil war they're like everyone knows about spider-man you don't need another origin story like they do with batman every goddamn time but i I think that she's gonna have a role in captain marvel 2 and the doctor one thing i'd forgot to mention earlier was the whole runes things that uh agnes says about when uh scarlet witch can't you wanda can't use her powers that made me immediately think of Doctor Strange. And obviously we know that I think Olsen, Elizabeth Olsen, is going to appear in Doctor Strange's Multiverse of Madness. So what I'm hoping is her and Agnes will kind yeah. of team up with Doctor Strange and maybe Agnes and Doctor Strange will butt heads quite a lot because he's like, you can't use that kind of magic, blah, blah, blah. And she's like, no, you're, you've only been doing magic for 10, five years or whatever. I've been doing it for 300 years. I know what I'm doing. Anyone else who's been trying to use the dark magic is too weak and stuff. And I, I'd like to see those two butt heads and Wanda kind of have to be the middle ground being like, look, he's a bit of a dick, but he is a good guy. <laughs> she is a lot to handle, but she is a good person. You guys need to get on to fight this big bad that's a threat to the multiverse. And I think that the hints of that runes working on Wanda is going to link in with, with what you guys both said, where Agnes is going to train up Wanda 
and I hope the Doctor Strange has a hand because I would just love a three-way magic movie. I just think that, that with multiverse stuff, I just think that would be so cool. So that's that's my sort of predictions. Yeah, one thing I didn't mention actually. So so the book that we saw at the end of the last episode, and we could see it in the room there in this episode as well. With people are thinking this is something called the Darkhold. So it's basically a, a, this book. It's a book of the damned. They they sometimes call it, and that actually um, it, it was shown in Agents of Shield. I, I can't remember which season it was, and it looks different. So you know, it could be this Darkhold thing. Someone had pulled out, I saw, that in the uh, Doctor Strange movie, when you see all of the books in the library, you know, because he's, he's trying to educate himself, isn't he? There is a book missing. And so the theory is that mm. this is that book that was missing there. And interestingly, you have um, all of the books are in like hex shapes as well. Um, so again, oh. it could That's be that. In the in the comics as well, this book does lead to the creation of vampires, like the first vampire. Oh, so it could be, you know, uh, something to do with the Blade movie that's going to be coming up as well. So, you know, as the old saying goes, it's all connected. Mm, well, and, and the Morbius movie that's going to be coming out. I don't know. If, is that Sony or is that MCU? That's Sony, but again, it's. I think Tom Holland is going to appear at least in Venom Two, isn't he? So I don't know how these movies are going to cross over because there seems to be this uneasy alliance between Sony and Disney, doesn't there? So I don't know if the Sony universe is really part of the Disney universe as well, or they're going to tackle this with uh, Spider-Man three, where it looks like we're getting, you know, all the old, you know, the Tobey Maguire and the Andrew Garfield's in there as well. Yeah. It's going to be, it's going to be interesting because I think, yeah, it's like Spider-Man three and Venom two are going to be this weird, like, is it, Obviously, they're going to have to play their cards right because if they try and if they make those parts canon to the MCU, then anything future with those characters is then in turn going to have to be canon in some ways. Otherwise, you're going to get an X Men thing, which is I haven't shown Megan the X Men films as of yet. I do at one point want to, but the problem is they're so inconsistent and the the overall canon plot is so goddamn confusing. You've got like the main, th- I mean, you see Wolverine's origin story like three times in slightly different ways each time. You've got the re- <laughs> you've got the Wolverine trilogy, the X Men trilogy, the First Class trilogy. You've got Dark Phoenix, which I haven't seen, but then you've got you know Days of Future Past, which is one of my favorite X Men films. I won't spoil the end, but what happens at the end seems to undo what happens in some of other things. And you're just like none of this because there wasn't a big plan. It's just always a huge mess, and none of it makes any sense. You're really really selling it to me, Mike. The X-Men films have some of the coolest superior stuff in them, but they do also have some of the weakest. I would be tempted to start off with um, X-Men Days of Future Past. Uh, sorry. Um, first Class. No, I would start off. That's the worst place to start because that's yeah. got them all in. Yeah. Uh, I would start with First Class. Mm. Because X-Men First Class, even though it's not the, you know, it's not the Hugh Jackman Wolverine, um, I won't spoil that, but... It's it's got the essence. It captures the essence of those first X Men stories a lot better, even though it's not mm. the the real team. The real team was uh, Cyclops, Beast, uh, Angel, Jean Grey, and, and Iceman. Those were the original five. But First Class, I, I do think, does a great job. Um, so that unless you're planning another Batman style marathon, maybe just <laughs> literally watching it for fun, I, I would. 
I would recommend First Class. As, if someone's not watched any of the X-Men movies, I, I think that's a good place to start. Yeah, I was tempted to almost do First Class, X-Men Origins, Wolverine, then the, the X-Men trilogy um, with Hugh Jackman and stuff in it, and then uh, uh, X-Men Days of Future Past, and then Logan. And then I know Chris liked the Wolverine. I wasn't a big fan. I don't mind it, but I just think it was a bit flat. Yeah. And I think X-Men Origins Wolverine gets a really bad rap for a film that, although the CGI is a bit crap at times, I think it, and they kind of ruined Deadpool, I feel like it did a really good job. And yeah, so, I, but Apocalypse, I can't, that film for me is just like not worth the watch at all. So it is one of those things where, yeah, I, I do want to show Megan at some point, but yeah. Megan's been overwhelmed with stuff and I'm making her watch the Spider-Man films now and we're watching Daredevil <laughs> as well. So, so much. <laughs> I'm not going to make you watch all the Defenders things. Don't worry. Are you watching the Ben Affleck movie? No, or no, 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 the, no. the Daredevil Netflix series? The Netflix, the Netflix series. <laughs> okay. I, I don't mind the that, Daredevil. That is much better, to be fair. I, I don't mind the movie Daredevil itself. I never, obviously there's comics on trial episodes about that. I, I never hated it. I didn't really mind it. But I just didn't think it was great. And when you've got the series like Daredevil, it's like, why would you bother watching mm. the film if you can watch the series? It's just the, the, the series is just better in every single way. Um, so yeah, we're about halfway through series one of that. But I'm not yeah. going to make Megan watch all the Defenders because there's no need. And a lot of them are quite crap. I'm just trying to give her enough information that like <laughs> when we watch you know, Spider-Man 3 and some of the other MCU movies with the rumors of Daredevil coming back, I just want Megan to vaguely know who that is. And so if there is a big reveal of that character, it has a bit more weight to it. Kind of like when you watch like the animated series of Star Wars, then you yeah. watch Mandalorian. Yeah, because like- I mean, like when they did in One Division, when they did the reveal, and it was Pietro, so the other Pietro who was Quicksilver in yeah. the X Men films. To me, I was like, oh, yeah. that's the guy from American Horror Story. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, he is in whereas there, me, isn't he? <laughs> whereas me, I was like, oh my god, that's Quicksilver. It's like the best Quicksilver. Megan was like, I don't know what you're talking about. It was like, oh. <laughs> he does the, the scene. I won't spoil them, but the scenes, yeah. especially in X Men: Days of Future Past, the one big scene that he does, it's so cool. It's one of the coolest parts of the whole X Men franchise, and it's just like, oh, love it. Yeah, no, it's it, it proper. He stole the show there, didn't he? With that, oh, yeah. with that one scene that you're talking about, but mm-hmm. we we won't spoil it. But um, before we wrap up, is there anything else that that you that jumped out for the episode? We've, we've obviously uh, run a bit long there. There's one tiny thing, and that is just I noticed there's no theme music, which I'm I'm happy and sad about at the same time because the theme music were really enjoyable and really cool, and the fact they did a new one each week was mental. Like kudos to the sound, uh, either sound engineers or composers, whoever's making them, and also the actual starting sequences of them is really, really cool as well. Like, I, I do like that. Um, although I will say one thing that has jarred me a little bit was that it was at the end of the last episode where it was like, oh, Agnes did everything. She's behind the camera and all that sort of stuff. And then in this episode, you had it where she goes back. She has that the memory of going back to the house uh, right near the end, which Vision sort of bought the plot of land for. She builds the whole house. She builds the Vision and stuff. Everything's black and white. And then it cuts to sort of her being there present day and she looks, and behind the TV set, there's all those lights and cameras and things. And I was like, I don't, I don't understand that yeah. part. I'm just like, was she? But when I saw Agnes was behind it and she was behind the camera, I thought that was almost like, almost a metaphor. Almost like she's been the one kind of broadcasting this in a way. But then when you see, oh no, there's literally, you know, when Agnes was clapping at the end and she's just in that stand where there were allegedly people for all the laughing voices and things. It's just a bit like, why? Why was that then? How how could Vision and Wanda actually act normally? What with those lights on them and the camera and all that stuff? I and especially if 
you don't want people necessarily to know where you are, why would you intentionally let out a not only a frequency that people can tune into, which I thought maybe that's just a symptom, maybe that's just accidental, but then to actually specifically have cameras there to broadcast that thing, I was just a bit like, I don't, I don't fully get that part. If they never explain it, that won't ruin the series for me. It was more of like a, a little blip for me. Like, oh, okay, uh, I guess I'll just glaze over that in my mind and not think about it too hard. I'm with you. I don't really understand why they showed, because you're thinking, well, Vision, we've seen him try to piece everything together through the series, and he's got little clues, and he knows something's not quite right. But then if you think, well, he's sat in the chair, and he's looking at a live studio audience, well, (laughs) (laughs) that's a good clue, isn't it, that something's not quite right. So I'm assuming that in that moment, it became a studio. You know, it wasn't originally a studio because, like you say, it doesn't make sense because everyone will be able to see, oh, look, you know, there's the camera crew and everything. There's the director sat in his chair over there. It, it wouldn't make sense if they were always there. But uh, it's a brilliant point about the music. If this was available on uh, Spotify or whatever, um, I would quite happily pay money for it because all of the music has been outstanding for this series. And, Mike, uh, same people who did Frozen. Yeah, well, I, I want to clarify, uh, although I think the music of Frozen is heavily overrated, I want to say, I do like a lot of Disney music. I don't think it was the same people, but you just started off Lin-Manuel, Lin-Manuel, whatever his name is, Ferreira or something, he, he's the one that, um, I can't his name, he, he's the one who did uh, Moana. I love him, and he did Hamilton. I love him. I love a lot of Disney music, just not necessarily Hamil- uh, not necessarily yeah. Frozen. But oh, you're yeah, one, one thing I've thought of, actually, <laughs> <laughs> one thing I have thought of, actually, maybe the last point on this is I think maybe Agnes is intentionally sending out that, um, the frequency thing, maybe to try and get the attention of people like Darcy to show, look, if you have a view into what's going on here, rather than just seeing this big scary hex and all these people held hostage, if you can tune into that cleverly and we do it in a subtle way so that the baddies or whatever can't see it, Maybe that was the reason she was kind of doing it. And maybe it was an illusion. Maybe when Vision's in the house, because obviously everything's black and white and stuff for everyone in it, which is odd. But like mm-hmm. maybe when they're in the house, everyone can just see walls of the house. But because Agnes and uh, Wanda are magic, they can see the studio audience, which is there. I wonder if it's maybe an illusion spell oh, in that maybe. regard. But I hope Agnes is sending that out. That'd be a nice little twist where she's intentionally trying to show people. But I, I don't know if that's too much for a stretch. I can't remember exactly what frequency they tuned into, but I know Darcy talked about there being a lot of CMBR, so cosmic microwave background radiation. Mm -hmm. So this is the biggest piece of evidence for the Big Bang. You know, physicists predicted uh, exactly what this would be, and then when they found it, it was like, right, that's it, you know, the Big Bang, that is our main theory. So for me, that that was more about just um, suggesting that this – is like a little pocket universe that had been created. Mm. I, you know, it wasn't just an illusion that people were seeing. Um, I, I, I'd have to go back and watch that episode, but I thought it was that frequency that they were tuning into. Mm. Yeah. I'd agree with that, yeah. <laughs> Who knows? Guys, it's been an absolute pleasure, as always. Where can everyone get you? Do you want to reveal? <laughs> you do every time. Every time we do this, I, I don't have page. a podcast. <laughs> I have an Instagram page. Uh, if you want to follow my health and fitness journey, it is on Instagram and it is Brits Gets Fit. Mm-hmm. And Mike always t- 
tells me that I need to spell it out. So G R I double T S gets fit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's where you can find Megan, and uh, you can also occasionally see her on on my social media, which is at Genuine Chit Chat on Instagram, Twitter, and on Facebook. Uh, and yeah, I've got the show Styles Comics in Canon on this very feed. My show Genuine Chit Chat is on its own feed, but anyway, you listen to Comics Motion, you'll be able to find it. Uh, and I have a Patreon now with even more content. So lots of ways to find me if people for some reason want to hear my voice even more then there's infinite amounts of it so there we go we'll kick the mic so there we go <laughs> awesome well thanks very much guys and uh like i say it's been great to speak to you i can't wait for next week quite mm-hmm. honestly to see how it all wraps up we're gonna have a week off and then we'll be straight into falcon and the winter winter soldier so you know lots and lots to be excited for like you say you've got bad batch coming after that then you've got the loki series so um gonna have a busy year <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what i want something every friday i said to megan i was like with all these uh, all the disney series i was like if they release hawkeye and falcon like i wasn't overly fast on falcon the winter soldier till i saw the newest trailer and i was like oh they're gonna make it a bit more funny that's cool i was just like even though i love the mcu i was like if they release it all in one go i'm probably not gonna prioritize watching it because it's a big slog um to have to watch you know eight or nine episodes or something when we're watching loads of other series but if it's just one episode a week it's very easy to fit that in so we'll just continuously be watching it. And I think they've they've yeah. done a stellar job. And I'm just very excited that basically, yeah. apart from like once every couple months, every Friday for potentially the next year or potentially the next decade, who knows, <laughs> we're going to get some some more content, which I'm very excited for. You know, it's a brilliant point, actually, because I was umming and ahhing about, would I prefer the whole series to be available, <laughs> especially when I just want to see what happens in the next episode? But I think what this has brought back is almost like that that feeling you got with network TV when something would be on at the same time. So, you know, you'd get into school on Monday morning and and discussing what's happened at, you know, whatever TV show you're watching. Whereas when stuff's on Netflix, you just all watch whatever you want, don't you? But having these drop on a Friday, I'm I'm convinced now. I I, I was a skeptic at the start, but no, for me, it's been absolutely brilliant. 100%. Yeah, I agree. I'd also like to thank you, the listeners, for joining us, and I hope you enjoy these little recap shows with different guests from the Comics in Motion family as much as we enjoy doing them. If you haven't already, please check out some of the other shows, including Mike's excellent Star Wars Comics in Canon show. Coming up on Monday, we have Matthew B. Lloyd's Classic Comics, which looks at those pre-Silver Age comics and newspaper strips, followed on Tuesday by What's the Topic with Matt and Luke as they look at what's going on in the comic book, movie, and TV world, as well as debating a different topic each week. We have the Mandatory Marvel and DC show, where Max and a guest tackle some of the biggest and best books from the big two comic publishers. And for everything outside of the big two, we have Tony Farina's fantastically diverse indie comic spotlight, where Tony has lots of different guest reviewers, as well as different creators on the show. Tony is also one half of the new Binge and Buffy series, along with our newest family member, Jack. And here the guys are doing a season review at a time, so one season at a time, and looking at what holds up, what doesn't, and ultimately talking about what they love on the show. And of course, we've got the incredible and educational Superheroes for Dummies show with Paul, Dan, and Steve. And there the guys will focus on a particular character or team or book and talk about the comic history and stories and take listener questions on all kinds of different things. Really impressive how the the guys roll with some of those questions. And of course, you've got myself and Chris. Uh, We tackle the TV and movie reviews, so we'll generally 
tackle one thing at a time. So one TV uh, show or one movie per week. And hopefully we'll be getting some more new content to look at this year after doing mostly retro reviews last year. Okay, guys. Well, I'll leave you to enjoy the rest of your day and I'll speak to you next time. Wonderful. Yeah, thanks a lot for having us on again. Dave, it's been a pleasure. We'll speak to you soon. Bye. Comics in Motion is thrilled to be partnering with Humble to become Humble Partners. If you follow the link in the show notes, you'll be taken to Humble Bundle where you can get some access to some amazing stuff. Digital comics, digital books, video games, coding manuals. The amount of stuff that you can get there is obscene. Plus, you get it at a ridiculous discount. So here's what you need to do. Click that link, go to Humble Bundle. Not only are you going to get great stuff, at a great deal, but you're also going to support a charity and you're going to help Comics in Motion keep the lights on. So click the link, go to Humble Bundle, get yourself some amazing stuff. Thanks.